Well, amen. There is, uh, I, I'm grateful for uh, social distancing and online and all of that, but I tell you, I am always grateful when I get to gather with God's people and for us to corporately worship and celebrate uh, what Jesus has done for us. And the focus of the music today has been about Jesus. It should be about that every time. Somebody asked me one time, what's the answer to the world? And I said, it's Jesus. And they said, that sounds real simple. I said, it is. It'll take you your whole life to figure it out. It is simple, but it takes a while to figure it out. So I, I'm glad for people that are joining us online that don't feel comfortable yet coming back, but we've got people in South Africa. We have people in Brazil. Hello, Eric and Ramona, uh, our missionaries in Brazil and uh, around the country that gather with us on these Lord Day, Lord's Day and uh, worship with us. I'm grateful to have one of my favorite missionaries in the world with us today, and that's Christina Charles, who's back from Africa, and her mom and dad. And, uh, Les and Carol moved a few years ago. They're out of God's will. One day they'll move back and get back in God's will, but uh, I'm glad you guys are here with us today. Uh, just a brief moment of personal privilege. Uh, Friday night, uh, I got to perform the wedding for Aaron and her fiance, Drew, uh, by a little pond on their property. Uh, all 18 of us, just family, were gathered there sweating like crazy. And I don't know why anybody plans a wedding in the summer, much less outside, but we did. Uh, on three weeks' notice, and we had a great time with family that came from Mississippi and Georgia and North Carolina. And uh, so uh, uh, they are officially married, and I've officially asked her to move her hand out of my wallet and put it into his wallet. Somehow I don't think that's going to happen. But we're, we're excited for that for them. Uh, she hasn't posted it yet. I asked her if I could tell you, she didn't answer, so it's her fault now. <laughs> so I told you, if, if you heard it from me, believe it. If you see it from her, that's an affirmation. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8. I want to talk to you this morning about defining discipleship, defining discipleship. Uh, we're at the halfway point in the Gospel of Mark as we've been looking at Servant King and and there is a convoluted definition of discipleship in the world today. We have made it, in our Americanized Christianity, whatever we want it to be. But a disciple is a follower. It's a, they're a learner. They're somebody that models and incorporates the characteristics of the mentor, of the teacher, the one that is discipling them. And it's tempting. It is really tempting to water down the cost of discipleship. Because for some reason we think if we say what Jesus really said, people won't follow Christ. That's not true. If we say what Jesus really said, people will follow Christ, but those that are casual and just using Christ won't, and you'll be able to determine the difference. You'll see the difference between New Testament Christianity and some Americanized, sanitized, 
comfortable, compromised version of Christianity. We are at a pivot point in this book. Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. He's been healing. He's been teaching. He's been confronting the religious leaders, the the Pharisees. But now, in verse 27, he's going to begin to make a change in the message and the awareness of why he's really there. And so when you jump to verse 31, you're coming out of Peter saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's an affirmation and Jesus affirms it and he does not deny it. But then at that point, he begins to tell them that he's going to the cross and Peter just can't take that. He, he, he just has a problem with it because he's still got this wrong idea of what Messiah will do. He's still learning. Pick up in verse 31. And he, being Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. In other words, there's no fine print right here. It's all clear what Jesus is saying. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Mark chapter 1 through 8, we see Jesus serving. But in chapter 8, we see Jesus intensifying his emphasis on he is the king who has come. In verse 31, that's the turning point. He began to teach them. It's like a new chapter, a new phase, a new sense of direction, a new sense of purpose. He began to teach them. Verse 32, he was stating the matter plainly. This is why that's important. Any agenda in my life, other than the agenda to follow Jesus in death to myself, is not a Jesus agenda. It's my agenda. It's my plan for my life. It's my purpose for my life. It's my thoughts of what I think is best. Jesus stated plainly the cost of discipleship. He didn't give us a multiple choice test. He didn't say if you feel like it. He called us to be his disciples and to go and to do whatever he says. And so the answer is always, yes, Lord, then what's the question? But the answer is yes to him. So look at the fact that he brings focus to the purpose. Discipleship is clear because it's clear first and foremost about who he is, why he came, and what he expects of us. Discipleship is clear because we clearly know who he is. We clearly know why he came. And we clearly know from the scriptures what he expects from us. Once we know who he is and why he came, we understand the purpose of his coming and our expected response. Once we know those things, we understand the purpose of his coming 
and our expected response. Now, if you printed out the notes or if you've got them on your app, you'll see a paragraph there. When Jesus begins to reveal his suffering and coming death, it was in stark contrast to the predominant views of Messiah among the Jews. They believed Messiah would come to take his throne and overthrow his enemies. He would rid the land of oppression and enemies. And Jesus knew there were two distinct comings, one to die for our sins and the other later coming to rule and reign. So Jesus was not going to be bound by their ideas or interpretations of Messiah. He was bound by who he was in himself as Messiah. Now this is the first of three times that Jesus is going to mention his coming death. We've hit that turning point in 8.31. Now he does it again in 9.31 and in 10.33 in the Gospel of Mark so that there's nothing that catches them by surprise. He repeated it three times because we're hard of hearing. Nothing should catch us by surprise because it didn't catch him by surprise. Oh, if Jesus had known what they were going to do to him, he would have never gone to Jerusalem. He knew exactly what they were going to do to him. And he went to Jerusalem. He just needed the disciples to understand the what and the why. One of my concerns about American Christianity, and I am one, I'm an American Christian. I hope I'm more of a Christian than anything. But one of my concerns is American Christianity, because of media and social media, has designed a gospel, a Bible, and a theology according to what makes us feel good, not what makes us like Jesus. And there are way too many churches and way too many believers that Jesus is an additive. He's not life. He's not the source of life. He's not everything in life. And so we fall for false teachings. We fall for half-truths. We fall for convenience Christianity. We fall for the gospel of power. We fall for success in the world's eyes. I saw a post this week of a group of people in a predominant church in the world with a big pole reenacting Gandalf from Lord of the Rings Casting out the coronavirus. Be gone. That is mysticism. That is magic. That is not biblical. And it's heresy to take something out of a novel and proclaim it that it's from the lips of Jesus. And now corona and racism will be gone because we said it. That's false teaching. And people are following the teachings of that church all across the world. And they write great music, but some of their stuff is just stinking, lousy theology. The problem is, the average person doesn't know when they cross the line. And so all these people gather around this post and do this line directly out of the Lord of the Rings, and they say, racism is gone and coronavirus is gone. Well, the last I checked, they did that over a week ago, and that's all still here. So that's a false prophecy. Now, the problem is, people have already turned me off on streaming because they don't want to hear that. Hey, I'm just the messenger. 
And I have to speak truth whether it hurts or not. And the truth is, that's not the way you get rid of it. You get rid of it by people's hearts being baptized in the love of Jesus and covered by the blood of Jesus and standing at the foot of the cross together. That's how you deal with it. That's the way you do it. Jesus knew without a cross, there can't be a crown. And we have people all the time saying, you know, claim your blessing and and claim your freedom and claim this, who have never gone to the cross. They've never died to themselves. Jesus teaching about his coming death, and he says there are three groups in the Sanhedrin that are going to reject him. The elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. And look at what he says. He must suffer many things. Now this right here, if you read your Bible, which I would encourage you to do, it's very enlightening. If you read your Bible, he must suffer many things. Jesus also says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Jesus also said, in this world, you will have tribulation. So what that means is, Jesus suffered many things does not translate into so that you can have a health and wealth gospel and never have to suffer anything. That is not what the Bible says. That is what false teachers say. And we're finding out in a coronavirus that the prosperity gospel is not working. Because if it were, we wouldn't be having to social distance. Because all of these proclamations made by all of these healing and prosperity preachers would have at some point made it safe for us to hug each other again. It doesn't work because it's not biblical. Jesus said, I must suffer many things. Why? Because he obeyed the Father's will. You and I obey God, we're going to suffer some stuff. And be rejected. That was predicted by Isaiah. It literally means to fail to pass scrutiny of those examining. So the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, They put Jesus under their scrutiny of their idea of what God would look like when he came, and he didn't pass their test. It would have helped if they had read their Bible. And be killed. The cross. Remember, they didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. The disciples wanted him to ride the wave of popularity. And after three days, rise again. By the way, the only religious leader that has ever risen from the grave. So Peter takes Jesus aside to rebuke him. Now, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that moment because I would have never been the one that would have spoken up for, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Great, I've got to go suffer. Uh, Let's talk about this, Jesus. You know, we just had a a deacon's meeting and an elder's meeting, and uh, we... We, we think you're out of line here. And what did Jesus do? Peter rebuked Jesus, and Jesus rebukes Peter. Verse 32, that word rebuke is the same word. Some people have a problem with this, that he's calling Peter Satan. The word rebuke in verse 32 is the same word that Jesus used when he rebuked the demons in the demon-possessed man. It's the same word used when he calmed the storm 
It's the same word that he uses when he tells them not to reveal that he is the Messiah at that point. Peter could not understand the necessity of the cross. And one of the problems with our interpretations of discipleship is we don't understand the necessity of the cross. You can't live until you die. And until we die to self and take up our cross daily, we can never be what God intended and designed us to be. Satan has always opposed the way that God works. Satan has always opposed the cross. He's always opposed uh, the way God planned for the salvation of man. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you either come to me my way or there's no way. You're either going to follow me to the cross or there's no way for you to be saved. And if you don't follow my plan, you're following Satan's plan. Peter is a carrier of evil thinking at this moment in his life. Much like the temptation in the wilderness for Jesus to forsake the Father's plan and take the easy road. Can I tell you, you will always find a teacher or a preacher that will encourage you to take the easy road. But you'll be on the wrong road. You may be making good time, but you're going in the wrong direction. There will always be somebody that will tell you to take the easy road. That doesn't call, and that appeals to us because it appeals to my flesh. You know, there, there are things that people say, I'd like to believe it. It's just when you read the Bible, you can't believe some of that stuff. And so then Jesus tells these disciples not to tell anybody what he's just said. Why does he do that? First of all, so they won't get the cart before the horse. He doesn't want them to get the cart before the horse. He, he knows the time in which this will be revealed. Secondly, don't let the crowd derail my mission. I don't need the crowd to pick me up like the guy that kicks the field goal and carry me off the field. I've got a cross to go to, not a parade. I need to fulfill the mission that I'm here for. I'm not interested in riding the wave of popularity. Just, here's another problem. American Christianity wants to be popular with the world, which is why baptisms are down and churches are dying because we're trying to sell the world a gospel that they don't want and they don't need because, you know, if it's not making any difference in your life, why should I give my life to it? If it's not distinctive in your life, why can't I just be who I am and do what I do? So we are in danger when we think that following Jesus is about success. These surveys that say, the overwhelming majority of people in America are Christians. Are you kidding me? Do you have to watch the news more than five minutes to know that's not true? It's not true in Albany. It's not true in Leesburg. 
It's not true in Smithville. It's not true in Dawson. It's not true in Tifton. It's not true in Atlanta. It's not true in Minneapolis. It's not true in Washington or any other town you want to name. They are not predominantly Christian. If they were, we wouldn't have the mess we're in right now. And our baptismal waters would constantly be being stirred. Why is it that the Christian church in the first century could do more to impact the culture when living under Roman oppression and enslavement than we are with the freedom in the land of the free and the home of the brave? It's because we are not teaching people the word of God. Here's what Christianity has become in my lifetime. It's moved from worshiping God to, hey, man, we got really cool worship at our church. Hey, we get to dress down at our church. And you know what those have become? Those have not become, well, that's just the way things are. Those have become, we're making it as convenient as we can for you to not give up the world when you're following Jesus. And so you have churches that don't even talk about Jesus anymore. They talk about God in general. I mean, we can sing lies, we can tell lies, we can write down notes of sermons that are lies. Because we want to be successful. We want to be, you know, we want to be in the know. We want to be in charge. And we make it about who we are instead of who he is. When we try to make the church into our image, we are worshiping idols. I don't care how good it looks. When we try to make the church into our image, we are worshiping idols. Point number two, I'm further along than you think, so don't panic. Jesus brings focus to his disciples. Now, in verses 34 through 37, I want to ask you to write down four words, and I'll tell you where they are and when to write them. Verse 34, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, first word is decision. We call for decisions. Everyone Jesus called, he called publicly. There are no secret agent Christians. Everyone he called, he called publicly. He called out to make a decision. He must deny himself. Denial. Not how much of Jesus can I get and how much of myself can I keep. But he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Third word, devotion. Devotion. So there has to be a decision which leads to denial, which results in devotion. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Determination. Determination is the fourth word. 
Are we determined to give up what we need to give up so that our decision, our denial, and our devotion is valid? You see, if we can't grasp the conditions of messiahship, then we can't grasp the conditions of discipleship for ourselves. If I can't fully grasp who Jesus is, then I can never fully grasp who he expects me to be. He expects me to be Christ-like. He expects me to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Now, Jesus uses the Son of Man here. That is actually his favorite title for himself. It comes from Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. And in Daniel 7 and verse 13, it is a messianic picture. And it is a picture of a heavenly figure with authority and power who will unite heaven and earth. So this is his favorite term. In fact, it's the term that's used the most in the Gospel of Luke. Victor Maxwell in his book on Mark says, Jesus spelled out the terms and demands of discipleship. A disciple is one who forsakes and forgets his own will. A disciple is one who fulfills the Father's will. A disciple is one who follows Christ wherever he leads. You see, the thing about discipleship is it's voluntary. It's voluntary. We choose to follow. We choose to take up our cross. We choose to obey God. We choose to say yes to him and no to ourselves. Look at the three words, deny, take up, and follow. Those three words are all present tense. There's a beginning point, but it continues. This is not about a one-time decision when we're nine years old and then that's it and it's done and we don't have to worry about it. That's why we preach a lot of people into heaven at funerals that are in hell. Because we say, well, they made a decision when they were nine. I know he was a womanizer, and I know he was an alcoholic, and I know that he was an abuser, and I know he was all this, but he made a decision when he was nine. He did not make a decision about Christ, or his life would have changed. Christ changes life. He's not just some date on the calendar. He is a decision of a day, of a moment, and of a lifetime that we continue to follow. And some of us have not witnessed to members of our family for the simple reason that they made a decision 30 years ago, have done nothing with it, and we say, well, at least when they die, they'll go to heaven. You are sure banking a lot on something the Bible does not promise. Now, the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. But if you just walked an aisle and got baptized and haven't done anything about it, you never connected yourself. You never yoked yourself with Christ. You never took up your cross. You never followed him. It is a life-changing decision. Amen? It's not just something to put in the obituary. It's a life-changing decision. The word deny means to reject self and selfishness. We are to die to self because we've been bought with a price. The world today says, save yourself, look out for yourself, care only for yourself, pamper yourself. 
The Bible teaches us to give up our rights and to live under lordship. Take up your cross. I love what Tozer said about this. If in the time of Christ you saw a man carrying a cross, you knew one thing. He wasn't coming back. Because a cross had one purpose, to die. If you're taking up your cross, you're dying to self. A cross comes from specifically embracing the life of Christ. It is a narrow way from specifically embracing the life of Christ. We are to deny ourselves, to be dead to self. We are to take up our cross. Now, let, let's just talk for a minute about what your cross is. Your cross is not your mother-in-law. Your, your cross is not your ingrown toenail. Your cross is not the, the warranty on your car. I'm thinking about pushing the button. I can't believe you called. Oh, thank the Lord you called. My car has 487,000 miles on it, and the air conditioner went out today, and, and the, the whole back axle fell out. How much is that warranty? And see how quick they hang up. You see, that's what the world does. The world offers you something they're really not going to give you. It's always going to have conditions on it that are to their advantage. Your cross is not the stuff you're going through. I remember after I got saved and I was in ministry, somebody said, you know, my cross, my cross is I just don't feel good. No. Can I tell you what a cross is? A cross is something that is in your life solely because people have seen you completely identify with Jesus and it has brought problems to bear in your life because you're carrying a cross. It's Jesus. It's identity with Jesus. The word follow means to move behind someone in the same direction. I'm not on my own path. I'm not on my own agenda. I'm moving behind him to come after him in my own direction. So let me ask you a question. How are you following? To deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. How are you following in your prayer life? How are you following in your Bible study? How are you following in your giving? How are you following in your faithfulness? How are you following in your forgiveness? How, how are you following in loving your enemies? How are you following in praying for those who offend you? How are you following in turning the other cheek? How are you following in living by faith? You see, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is there's the person that you are. There's the person that you could be for evil. And there's the person that you could be for God. And every person has that choice. The person that you are. Without Christ, I'm lost and headed for hell. I have no hope of heaven. I have no hope of a changed life. I have no hope of answered prayers. I'm lost. That's the person I am. The person that you are for evil. You stay lost, you're going to live in evil. You could be a good moral person, but your righteousness in the eyes of God is as filthy rags. It won't save you. You could do a lot of good deeds. It won't save you. 
But the person that you could be for God, that's the person you are when you understand to follow Jesus is profit and gain. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You see, what I gain with Jesus, I never lose. What I put in my retirement account in January, I lost in March. But what I put in Sherwood Baptist Church has not been lost. It's a difference. Oh, I got to save up for a rainy day. Jesus said, you don't even have a promise of tomorrow. I got to have this and I got to have that. That's viewing life as if it is for your gain and for your profit. But Jesus said, what if you gain the whole? What if tomorrow Publishers Clearinghouse showed up at your door and you got $7,000 a week for the rest of your life? That's great. But if you die five minutes later without Christ, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What if you pay your house off and the day you're walking away from paying your house off, you drop dead? You've gained nothing. But what if on the way to pay your house off or on the way home from paying your house off, you shared the gospel with somebody? That's gain. That's real gain. We gain when we give. We gain when we follow Christ. These are commercial terms. And what Jesus is saying is don't be sucked in by what the world values. Be drawn to what Christ values. Probably the most famous quote from Jim Elliott is this one. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I have a young man it was in my youth group, first full-time church. His name's Ray Sanders. And Ray uh, and, and another friend of mine from Oklahoma came out and visited us uh, last summer uh, after I'd finished all my treatments and spent a few days here. And we had a great, great time with them. But this past week, because of some flooding in Oklahoma, Ray and Stephanie lost their house that they've lived in for 20 years. And I'm talking about Ray is one of the godliest men I know in the world. And they lost their house. They lost all their things. He ran part of his business out of there. And he sent me a picture standing between the studs with wet insulation all on the ground. His wife, Stephanie, is facing because she has bone on bone in her hips. She's facing both hips being replaced. Also back surgery because she's lived in constant pain for over five years. So they've lost their home. They've lost everything they had in their home. She's facing hip replacement and she's facing back surgery. This is the paraphrase of his text to me. With this loss... God has opened up so many Jesus conversations that we are having with people to tell them that Jesus is our 
sufficiency. Pray for us that we will share the gospel and always as we go through this. You don't know what a real Christian is? I just told you who he was. I just told you who he was. He's a guy who suffered loss of everything and counts it gain that people are showing up to help at his house. And he has the opportunity to share the gospel with people that he's never been able to share it with before.